Good morning, Barry. Thank you. I'm fine. How are you doing? It's good to see you. <laughs> good. I was reminded from sitting in the back, usually we're up a little further, in case any of you UD students are wondering what the squeaking is all about. We've got a squeaky steeple, okay? Sometimes it's a mystery, and you could probably spend the whole service wondering, so now you know, and you just you don't have to worry about it. Um, okay, <clears throat> so we are um, working through the book of Luke right now. We've been in it for a while. We're, we also have some planned breaks, um, another one coming up after we finish chapter 12, um, but... <clears throat> We're here in chapter 12, and so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, if you don't have one, there's one in the pew in front of you, and you can find our text for this morning on page 1038 and 39. We're really going to focus on verses 29 to 34, which is on 1039, but uh, we're going to read from 22 to 34 in just a minute. Um, you've certainly heard somebody say this, but maybe you've used it a few times yourself. The line, you know, you see somebody that's really well off, they've just kind of got it made, and at some point you say, they don't have anything to worry about. Okay? You've said that before, haven't you? You've heard people say that. Uh, What do we mean when we say that? Obviously, it means that person is really well off. Maybe they're independently wealthy. Um, Does that really mean that they have nothing to worry about? No, and we know that. In fact, sometimes it means they've got a lot to worry about, okay? But think about this statement for a second. Think about what it says and what it means. If you have enough, if you've got enough backing... You, you won't have anything to worry about, at least at a material level. Hmm. Okay, Luke 12. If you're familiar with where we're at, you probably make some connections already. You may know someone that is in that kind of financial situation, um, and maybe someone who actually lives like that, lives, in a sense, kind of worry-free, carefree, Um, Maybe it's, you know, this envious, carefree thing that you've seen, this laid-back, unconcerned about material things sort of person. Um, Not all really wealthy people are like that, but some are. Um, Some are very generous, and they respond with kind of this unflappable calm um, in the face of loss and breakage, because it really doesn't matter. Well, maybe, just maybe, those kinds of people are intended to be a parable for us. Maybe God put them in your path if you know one or know some in order to show you. He put those people in our path to show us how to live as sons and daughters and heirs of God, the creator and owner of all things. Let's read this section again, verses 22 to 34 of Luke 12. And then I'll pray and we'll we'll dive in. So Jesus says to his disciples, for this reason, which he just told this parable about this guy who, you know, had lots and he just said, you know what, I'm just going to take it easy, live for myself, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. 
Even if you have an abundance, your life still does not consist in your possessions. And so for that reason, I say to you, Jesus speaking, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life's span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. And do not keep worrying for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes comes near nor moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also father it is such an incredible privilege to be able by your grace because of jesus only in his name because of his life and death in our place and your grace to us to change us and to adopt us, to take out rebellious hearts that run away from you by nature and give you the stiff arm or attempt to and replace those hard hearts with soft hearts that beat with your heart, with your love for us, and then through us for your world. Lord, we thank you that you have adopted us by your grace into your family. And I pray that that grace and all that it means, all that it stands for, all that it includes would be in our minds, in our hearts, as big as it really is. Sometimes... Your promises appear to us, if we're honest, as small, and they don't motivate us. They don't drive us. They're not sweet to us. They're small. And we go after all the two-bit, cut-rate, trinket-like promises that this world offers that sometimes seem so big and so satisfying and they never do so would you please by your spirit come and speak to us and help us to see 
the greatness of your grace this morning, to see the greatness of your promises, to see the chasing after the wind, mirage-like nature of all the promises that this world wants to sell. Help us to see your grace even in, in the way that you argue and, and speak to us and address us in this text. You are relentless and stubborn in your love for us in how, in how you give us reason after reason after reason to trust you. And I pray that by your Spirit they would sink in and they would affect us. Lord, we are so slow to learn, so thick so often, all of us, so quick to wander, so prone to it. And we pray that you would help us to be honest about that and own it and grieve it and repent of it and then turn the page and trust you and walk with you in the power of your gospel, blood-bought promises that are so sweet and so powerful. So please come and help us. Help me. Help me speak with your words. Help me to speak with the voice of the good shepherd so that your sheep will hear your voice and will follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so like I said, we looked at um, Luke 12, 22 to 34 last week. We didn't get through it all. So we're going to focus on verses 29 to 34 this morning. In this section, Jesus does not castigate his disciples or us and say, what is wrong with you? People are so pathetic. I can't believe you're worry warts like you are. Stop it. Okay, trust me, would you? Would you just trust me? I mean, what's it going to take? He doesn't, he doesn't talk like that. Okay, I mean, if there's anybody in the universe that has the right to argue and command with that kind of no-questions-asked authority, it's Jesus, but he never does. Instead, he helps our unbelief. Now, he certainly looks us, he looks his disciples straight in the eye and he says, you have little faith. Okay, but he's speaking to them, he's speaking to us graciously, precisely in order to strengthen our weak faith. I mean, in a sense, you could take you have a little faith as like this, you know, backhand, or you could take it as, oh, praise God, he knows me <laughs> and he meets me where I'm at. Like this is a message for me, not just for the, you know, the really strong can follow Jesus. No, Jesus is speaking to the weak ones. Okay, this is good. There's hope for us. So, graciously, in order to strengthen our weak faith, because all of these issues that he talks about, the worrying, the fear, those are faith issues. All of our worry is theological. All of our anxieties are vertical, ultimately, whether we recognize it or not, and he wants us to recognize that connection. So all these reasons that Jesus is going to give, they're aimed at bolstering our faith in God. And so we need to listen to Jesus' preaching. He gives us reason after reason after reason. And what are we going to do if we pay attention to him? We're going to then learn how to preach to ourselves, reminding ourselves of these faith-building promises, not listening to the voice of anxiety that so often is speaking to us in the morning as soon as we wake up. Oh, what if this happens? And what if this happens? What? Okay, time out. Hush. There's a better voice. 
Okay, so Jesus marshals all kinds of strong, weighty reasons to dispel our doubts and arm us against our anxiety. He tells us if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. Okay, your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. Therefore, boom, here he goes. Um, So that's the connection between the previous section, verses 15 to 21, and our section. Uh, He says life is more than food and clothes. So don't let your life reside there because that's just, that's not where life is at. Um, Also, you're worth more than the birds and the flowers. So, you know, take a look around, see the birds, see the flowers, let them teach you. Um, It also does no good, verses 25 and 26. And then your father knows what you need, verse 30. So he doesn't just tell them what not to do. Okay, as if righteousness is defined by all you don't do. Okay, as if there's some, you know, higher plane of stoic, placid detachedness from, you know, everything that's material. That's not the point. It's not just don't, don't, don't. Stop, stop, stop. Okay? Jesus knows, and he tries to make this really clear. He does make this really clear. He wants us to know that seeking and worrying are two sides of the same coin. That's why he goes back and forth almost interchangeably between worrying and seeking. Okay, we worry about what we want. What we want to have or what we want to keep, what we don't want to lose. And we're concerned about and often consumed with what we want. And we seek after what we want, okay? So two sides of the same coin. Don't be anxious about your life is not just for type A worrywart people. Because he's aimed at the heart of what you want. What are you after? What are your goals? What are your desires? What are you seeking? Okay, and everybody's seeking something. Everybody's concerned about something. Okay, and so he wants us to be primarily concerned with what is primary, his kingdom. Jesus wants us to be concerned about what concerns him. He wants us to want what he wants to seek first his kingdom and pray like this, your kingdom come, like we just sang. Now, how do these commands, we just read through this section, and if you weren't here last week, or even if you were here last week, how do do these commands hit you? Don't worry, don't fear, stop being so anxious, all of that. Or even sell your possessions, give to charity. How How do those commands hit you? They sound like good news? Does... When you hear this section, does a smile start to spread across your face? Does that ever happen? Or do you find yourself getting a little defensive? Cringing a little? Really guilty? Afraid of what Jesus might ask of you? Now, that posture might not be completely unjustified in this context because preachers can be known to over-apply. Okay? So if it's, you're a little bit wary, maybe fair enough if it's in relation to, you know, is is Chris going to really handle this well or is he going to, you know, go crazy here and, but these are the words of Jesus, okay? He is speaking to us. And if we let him speak, if we listen carefully to his words, then we have no reason to get defensive. Okay, even more, if we know his character, why he came. We've got all the reason in the world to believe that every single command of his, no matter how hard it may seem on the surface, is given to us for our good because he loves us. Okay, we are beloved children of the Father, not orphans driven by a harsh 
orphanage director, okay? So I think that's the context in which we need to hear these things. This is actually really good news, whether it strikes us initially as such or not. And I hope by the end it does. Either way. (laughs) If it already does, great. I hope it continues to, and maybe um, you savor it all the more. If it doesn't, then I hope it begins to sound that way. So look at verses 29 to 30. First point, don't, don't seek like an orphan child. This is the way Jesus is speaking. Um, don't seek like an orphan. Verses 29 and 30. Do not seek what you will eat, what you will drink. Do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. Okay, it is possible to be the adopted child of loving parents and still feel and act like you're an orphan. That's possible. You've heard of this, right? I think I've even mentioned a story one time a while ago where there, you know, it was an adoptive parent speaking about how they adopted these boys from Russia and for a little while after that adoption, the child was hiding food nervously in the high chair because they never knew before whether there was going to be another meal coming. Well, what does that child need? That child needs to get to know the character of their parents. Slowly and surely, the character, the track record of the parent will dispel those doubts and that anxiety. So Jesus is doing that with us. He's reminding us of our Father's character and His promises. We're not spiritual orphans like the nations of the world, okay? People outside for us, the church, okay? People that don't know God in Christ. They're not reconciled to God. They don't have a heavenly Father. It's like they're spiritual orphans. No wonder they eagerly seek after the things of this world. For them, it's all there is. But for you, you have a Father, and your Father knows what you need, So that's why there's no need to worry and no need to seek after in this consumed, this is my life sort of way, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink. So don't seek and worry like an orphan. You're a beloved child. Instead, seek, second point, like my child. Child, okay? Just This is like the father speaking to us. Seek, seek like you're my child because you are my child, if you're my child, (laughs) okay? Verse 31, but seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So seek like you're my child, my child. Seek me first. I'll take care of the second things. C.S. Lewis said it well. He said, if you seek second things first, you get neither. Okay, listen to how he said it. When I've learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. He said it again in a different way in another place in mere Christianity. He says, hope is one of the theological virtues. This fits in really well with this seek first your kingdom theme in Luke 12. So I'm going to read this one as well. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. 
the apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. And then he says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Okay, so seek like you're my child, my child. I'll take care of you. Now, for the most powerful promise in the whole section, we touched on it last week, and we're going to touch again this week, and I encourage you to memorize this verse and soak in it and preach it, preach it to yourself. In fact, I don't know if you have... Um, if any of you are aware, if you've got a smartphone, you need to go to your app thing and search on um, fighter verses. Okay, if you don't have a Bible memory program, if you're not, you know, just chewing on something every week, um, memorizing, meditating on, on the Word of God, this week, guess what it is? The one that you learned this week. So this would be a great time to start. You don't have to start on January 1st. You can start now, okay? So fighter verses this week, Luke 12, 32 to 34. Okay, I saw it on my prayer walk earlier this week. I was like, yes, thank you. I, I'm looking forward to meditating on this week. Oh, I preached on that. I got that. No, I, I'm looking for. I need this. We need this. We're going to continue to need this. Okay, so this is such a powerful promise in this section. I mean, if you want to talk about solid food upon which our weak little faith can feed and be strengthened, here it is. Don't fear the heart of your father king. Look at verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Have you ever heard the phrase, I think I've used it before, the expulsive power of a new affection? What does that mean? There was a famous sermon by a guy named Thomas Chalmers. Um, He was talking about this dynamic. How do you get a bone out of the mouth of a dog. Yell at it. Warn it. Threaten it. Kick it. Or hold out a bone with meat on it so that he drops the one with no meat because he wants the one with more meat. That's the expulsive power of a new affection. So this is... This promise has massive expulsive power. Power to drive out and dispel our doubt and our worry and our fear because there's something greater that takes its place. A sure and superior promise that is so sweet that we want to just uh, drop the bone, the things that we're going after so compulsively, obsessively, because this is, this is filet right here. Okay, verse 32. Unfortunately, so, so if, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Um, if, if you drive a BMW and I pull up in my Pinto, and I say, hey, want to trade? Even up? Okay. The person is not going to take me up on that. But that's what we do. That's what we do all the time. We're choosing the Pinto, folks. 
We're rejecting the BMW of God's promises for the pinto of the world's promises all the time. Jesus, what, now, now you go, oh man, yeah, I do, I do that. Okay, great. What is Jesus doing here? See you, stop worrying. No, he's so loving and so gracious. He's given reasons. Drop the bone, drop the bone. I want to feed you something better. I want you to live for something bigger. I want to give this to you because I love you. Think about what the promises are of laying up treasure for yourself on earth. What are the promises of seeking after food and fashion? How do they compare? Do some cost-benefit analysis. How sure are those promises? How lasting are those promises? How deep and satisfying are those promises? Is this promise not deeper, longer, greater, more glorious, more certain than any of those? Do you see, we need this one in here, in our souls, so that when we're walking, when we're driving down the street and we see this billboard, when we're, you know, whatever it is, watching television, on the internet, we see these promises, boom, 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 this is going to satisfy you. You can say, get that bone out of here. <laughs> because I have something better. And sometimes what you need to do is you need to get that bone up close and taste it. Otherwise, you're going to have no power against that alternate competitive promise. Okay, so don't fear, little flock. I mean, this, is, this is why you need to memorize it, not so you can have a little another notch in your Bible memory belt, but so that you can meditate on it. This is just such a wonderful verse to meditate on because when you meditate on it, you just kind of start to pull it apart and take the pieces and think about each one. So don't fear little, why is it little flock? What's that all about? Um, yeah, we are little, we're small, we're weak, we're, we're vulnerable. I sure feel like I'm helpless and, oh man, I need some help. It's scary. Wondering if we're going to be okay in the future, especially if we pour out ourselves for others. What, am I going to have enough? It also can be scary if you're listening and you've got a lot. It can be scary to have plenty because you're afraid that you would give in to the temptation to put your hope in wealth. So you can feel like this weak little vulnerable flock. Oh, I'm glad Jesus is speaking to me because this is the way I feel. So whether you're weak or whether you're wealthy or poor, you can feel weak in the face of temptation. And so Jesus says, fear not. And then there's this crazy logic, this crazy, wonderful Bible logic. Look at verses 31 and 32 and put them beside each other. Okay? 31. Seek his kingdom. 32. Your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Wait, wait a second. Why do I have to seek something I already have? That seems to be backwards. No, this is actually the beauty of Christian, biblical, gospel logic. The Bible reasons this way all the time. Seek his kingdom. He's already gladly given it to you. The logic is not, now, if you want the kingdom, you better seek it. And we'll just see if your seeking was serious and hardcore enough. And then maybe you'll, you'll find it. No. Your participation in the kingdom is not based on how well you seek. You seek because you've been given participation. That is gospel logic. Look at the language. 
Your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. It's yours in Christ. He's saying this to his disciples, okay? This is not just promise for everyone on the face of the earth. Remember, the nations are seeking after something else. They think Jesus is not worth trusting. He's not a treasure. He is, you know, whatever, good moral teacher or whatever. So how does this become ours? We were, we were in a bankrupt kingdom under corrupt government. We were all under the weight of an infinitely crushing debt. I mean, just think about, think about the fact that we haven't lived up to our own standards, let alone God's. We all know guilt. We all know the crushing nature of that guilt. Who's going to release us from that debt? There's no hope of payment. We are looking at an eternity in debtor's prison, folks. But the verse that I forgot to put in the scripture reading. Sorry, Todd, I'm, thank you. I'm thankful that you prayed the verse. We ended at verse 8. We should have ended at verse 9. That's my fault. But Todd prayed it in his prayer. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was infinitely rich, he had everything, all things were his. He didn't have to get down and dirty with us, the ones that had gone like this to him racking up this infinite debt, he could have said, to hell with all of you. Absolutely, justly. But instead, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. A slave. He emptied himself and became a slave, even to the point of death, death on a cross taken on our skin, living under the, the shameful cloud of, you know, he's a bastard, illegitimate child. All this shame, he, he despised that shame. He gladly took it on, became this homeless peasant, the owner of all things, the creator of all things, Homeless peasant, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though, though he was rich, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, he took all our debt on the cross. And at the end of those three hours, as he was our substitute, paying that debt, an infinite debt for all who would ever believe, he said, paid in full, it's finished. But it doesn't just end there. It's not like we just got it, our, our, our debt cleared and now we're kind of, well, we're at zero, so we better seek and make sure we can build up a bank account here you know, so that we can impress God by the end of our lives. No. He became sin. He took our debt. And then he gave us his riches. He gave us his righteousness. So all of what Christ won on the cross is ours if we are in Christ, if we're his, his people, if we trust in him. <laughs> you know the grace. Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich, even if you have nothing, spiritually, eternally rich. He's gladly, he's chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. You've got the kingdom. You don't have to fear. What's, what's your conception of the character of God? God was angry 
And Jesus is pleading with him, oh, let me go, let me go, because he's really nice and gentle, meek and mild Jesus. And he goes down and pacifies the father's wrath. Yes, the father was angry at sin and had wrath. But God demonstrated his love, demonstrates his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? It was his love that sent his son to deal with his wrath so that he could reconcile us to himself. So sweet. And Jesus, for the joy set before him, this is your God, okay? Your father has not reluctantly, not stingily, not begrudgingly chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Is that your conception of the father? He was pleased to crush him, Isaiah 53. How about this? Romans 8.32. If he did not spare his own son, but willingly gave him up, willingly gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So, you've gladly been given this inheritance. Just go and get it. Philippians 3. So I strive and strain ahead to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. He already laid hold of me. When Jesus lays hold of you, he causes you to go after what's really valuable because he's changed your values, changed your heart. You're now a citizen of heaven, and so you can't wait to get home. And you're a pilgrim on the way there, and you want to bring along as many people as possible to get there. Listen to this quote from uh, John Newton. Suppose a man was going to New York. This will anticipate where we're going from here with the sell your possessions. Suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate, and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think him if, he, if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. Don't worry. Don't fear, little flock. <laughs> Your father's chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So that wealthy person who has nothing to worry about? What if you had someone who was totally in control of the future, of your future? What if you had someone who was omnipotent backing you? What if, what if there was someone who was perfectly loving? What if that someone was, was like a shepherd, little flock, like a great shepherd, good shepherd, lay down your life for your sheep shepherd? What if that someone was like a father, perfectly loving father, totally reliable father, relational father, I want you to be my child, Father. I'll adopt you. You're mine, Father. I love you. Nothing can separate you from my love, Father. And what if that someone owned all things and to be his child was to be an heir of all things? I'm reading through Proverbs these days and I ran across this one this, this past week. Anxiety in a man's heart, person's heart, weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. <laughs> okay, there it is. That's Luke 12. Is it making you glad? So in that gladness then, and in that joy, we're ready for verse 33. Free up and lay up. Verse 33, sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. In the words of Randy Alcorn, Treasure Principle, really good book, highly recommend it. It's in the bookstore. Treasure Principle, Randy Alcorn, he says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. 
Okay? You can lay up treasure in heaven. We're all pilgrims. Pilgrims wisely travel light. None of us is taking up permanent shop here. We're through hikers. Anybody Appalachian Trail? Okay, we'll pick a different one next time. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Okay, I see that hand. Um, do you remember that illustration last week? If you weren't here last week, I talked about how worry is like a treadmill. You don't get anywhere. You're just running. It's kind of like a hamster wheel. Well, picture that treadmill of worry actually sitting in the arcade or the gift shop of the travel plaza when your dream vacation spot is your destination. What am I doing in here? I'm not getting anywhere. Why would you burn quarters on that mechanical arm, you know, when what's really satisfying is beckoning? Listen to uh, Francis Schaeffer. He said, Jesus summed up this in yet another statement. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, Luke 12, 33. Imagine a man who has to carry $5,000 over the Alps and who has a choice of two bags. One is made of cheesecloth, and he knows that if he uses it, the bag will soon begin dribbling out. I'm sorry, the money will soon begin dribbling out. So he chooses the other, a heavy leather bag. When he arrives at his destination, the money is safe. Jesus is just as explicit. When we lay up our treasures in this life, we've chosen a worthless bag. We are going someplace, you know. And when we arrive, we do not want to find we have left everything upon the way. So we get off the treadmill of worry to nowhere and get on the path, following Jesus, seeking first the kingdom, because it's not in vain. Okay? Now, notice, this is not browbeating motivation. This is not a guilt trip motivation. This is gain motivation. Okay? Now, let's just get practical really quickly here. Um, Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Give to charity. Make yourself these money's belt. Let's just get practical. I think eBay and Craigslist were created in the providence of God for this verse. Okay? It also helped, you know, furnish your apartment. I understand that. That's true, your house. But I think that's one of the reasons in God's providence those things exist. So whether it's personally or whether it's as a home group maybe, or maybe somebody wants to do it as a church-wide charity sale. And if we call it that, let's mean it in both senses. Charity, charity. The old sense of love. Okay? And then we'll pick a charity or two or three, and then we'll give that money and it'll just be wonderful, okay? So do it personally. Do it as a home group, maybe. If somebody wants to do it as a church, let's do it. This can get exciting. Remember one time, and you have to be careful with these, like I just, this is not a uh, do your righteousness before men that they may be seen, you know, whatever. It's more so, this gets exciting. I remember my mom, this is a simple example. My mom found these books, like I was looking for this book, and it was like really, really expensive on, on Amazon, used books, whatever. She goes to some like backwoods, nowhere Christian bookstore and says, do you have this book by chance? Couldn't find it anywhere on the internet for under like 120 bucks. And I said, oh yeah, we've got that book. We've got five copies of it. How much are they? $10. Okay. So she bought all of them, gave them to me and ended up at first I'm like, oh, this is great. I could make. And then I was like, wait a second. Okay. Um, I have one copy, and I do want to read it, um, but also ended up just thinking, okay, you know those ca- compassion catalogs? I think it was a compassion catalog. It was getting close to Christmas, and we were able to just sell these books, and we had a field day with this catalog. It was great. The kids got into it. loved it. 
Okay? So this can be exciting. So don't disconnect 33 from 32. 32 will make 33 sound like good news, like a good idea. And even if it's still hard, and it's going to be hard sometimes, um, and you can't just perpetually be selling everything, and Jesus is not saying that ownership, private ownership is wrong, okay? You could give plenty of examples. Zacchaeus didn't even give everything away, though he's a good illustration of what this looks like, okay? He still had house enough to throw a big party for all of his tax collector friends so that he could share the gospel with them, and we should do that, okay? So this is not like complete divest yourself of all your possessions, but we all have stuff that we don't need. We can get rid of it and send it on ahead, okay? But even if it's still hard, even if you have a hard time getting your heart to that place, you're not stuck. Look at the final reason that Jesus gives to his commands. Why should we sell our possessions and give to charity? Where do you want your heart? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Really practical. Your heart follows your treasure. So that, that's actually encouraging. We can do something about it. The opposite is certainly true. Our treasure follows our heart. You know, we put our money where our heart is. But it also works the other way. If you're realizing, man, I am so earthly-minded, I don't often set my mind and heart on things above, I really want to, well, start giving stuff away. Start sending on ahead. And all of a sudden, your heart will follow your treasure. If Jesus is our treasure, the kingdom of God is our treasure, it's already ours. We have all things. We're going to inherit all things. All things are ours. We have it all. So when we get that by grace then we'll be free to sell and give and love others sacrificially and generously. And it actually can be a self-perpetuating cycle. Okay, the center of gravity shifts. We're no longer backing away from our treasures as we get older and approach death. We're actually one day closer to our greatest gain. So where do you want your heart? Down here on the ground, vulnerable to getting stomped on? Or do you want it in the place where your treasure cannot be stolen or destroyed where your heart cannot be shaken and scared ultimately. So let's, by grace, by the power of these promises, see God change our center of gravity and our hearts will start to orbit around a new center. Okay, And the more massive that center, the stronger the gravitational pull. So it's freeing. And I think that's why Paul said to die is gain because he had counted everything as loss and he was just spending every ounce of his life for the sake of Christ, to live as Christ, okay? So Jesus challenges us this morning. We feel weak, we feel vulnerable. We wonder if we'll be poor and defenseless and and vulnerable if we live like this. We think, okay, Jesus, you know, you say don't worry, you say don't be afraid. It's easy for you to say you own everything. And he says, exactly. So listen, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to, the, to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish... He will not give a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those 
who ask him. Let's pray. Father, I praise you and thank you that you are this kind of God that is so gracious and gives us meaty, substantial reasons to trust you. Help us to know and experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that he, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich and then Knowing that wealth, we could so generously and seek first the kingdom, knowing that our God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So it's in his name we pray. Amen.